Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Tried for free at LogRocket.com today. My name is Paul, and join with me is Yuri Strumpflauner. He's the Senior Director of Developer Experience over at NX. And besides for working in over 10 plus years in technologies like Java, .NET, Node, desktop, mobile, and beyond, Yuri is joining us today. We're going to be talking about architecting your project and the way you're setting up your project. And a broader scope, is a monorepo only for monorepos or can we modularize code in a different way? Welcome to the podcast, Yuri. Hey, thanks for having me. So recently you gave a talk, Next Generation Code Architecture for Building Maintainable Node Applications. I think the talk really stirred some inspiration in me because you're talking about we can modularize code without being this monster monorepo for every scenario. And it's just a different approach. So I'd love to step into that. What inspired you to come up with this talk? Is it something that was happening over at NX with new features you were releasing? Is it something that came from personal inspiration? Both. Because you mentioned that I've been working also in .NET and Java backends and stuff. And so structuring code in the best possible way is something that I strive for. I remember back like when I did a lot of .NET development, we tried to figure out like how do you modularize your backend to not have one gigantic app and just separate by folders. So we started like in, in .NET, there's the concept of DLLs, which kind of libraries. And so we started splitting out stuff into smaller fine-grained libraries that like the usual, hey, there's an API layer, then there's more the business layer, the data access layer. Like that's the first things that you start usually with. And then we start going a bit deeper and not just maybe by like, horizontal types, if you want, typical pizza box architecture, but like even splitting by domains and that type of stuff. So it was always something that I, I kind of had played around with. And to the next part, we have been thinking about that there as well. Because for those that don't know, NX is, is a development tool that aims to increase developer productivity in a variety of different ways. And so Monorepos is where we started with, and or we're still big, obviously, because that's our origin story, if you want. But a lot of the concepts that we have developed there, in particular about structure modularizing code, can easily also apply to non-Monorepos, right? So that's kind of where that originated. And so why we kind of sat down and thought about like, hey, can we just add, like, give that flexibility of modularizing your code also to those people that are like, Looking at monorepos and they're like, oh no, that's not my situation. I don't definitely don't want a monorepo. I just want a single application. And if anybody listening wants to learn more about monorepos, and if you're interested in what Yuri has to say in our podcast today, he has been on in the past and definitely tune in to check out some details if you want to hear more of what he has to say. Now, Yuri, you're saying like a monorepo, some people might say that's interesting. I want a single application, but it's not for me. That's not my situation. Do you think Slapping the monorepo band-aid on every project is sort of like people do it when they don't have to do it. And that's why you're giving this talk and looking at these other solutions. Yeah, exactly. So like when I talk to users of an X, for instance, but also users that might potentially want to use an X, like a lot of the things that I hear is, hey, I looked at it, it looks interesting, but I don't really have a monorepo, at least not now. And that at least not now comes up very often because... What usually happens or what often happens is you start with a project and there's just one project and then you develop on it and you keep going. And then if you're already familiar with the concept of the monorepos, then you were like, hey, I need a second app that's kind of related. So you jump on a monorepo and do that. And then there's the second side of users which are really passionate about an X. And so they just use it even though they have just a single app. So they already use it in a way where they have one app but they leverage the modularity approach that the X can give you with libraries and all that type of stuff. 
but like technically it wasn't really a monorepo, but it still was set up in a monorepo fashion because that's what it was thought about. That was the plan of FNX in the first place. And so that's when we saw those two things, we were like, hey, it wouldn't be that hard for us to support like a single project scenario setup, which we then called standalone projects or standalone applications because it's just one, but still leveraging some of the functionality that NX provides. And so that's that's why we jumped onto this, right? And to, to kind of potentially to remove a bit the fear of people that see monorepos in the first place so that they can still benefit from some of the underlying tooling and then transition to a monorepo if they really need to at some point, right? So yeah, I, I would definitely wouldn't jump immediately onto it just for the sake of it. If you already know you're going to have multiple apps, sure, go for it. But otherwise, what we want to provide and what we are currently looking into is provide a transition path where we say like, hey, you can start with a single app. That's what you need right now so you don't overcomplicate your situation. But we will have some good migration paths along the way when you then come to the point where you see, hey, I want to add a mobile app or split up my application in multiple ones. So you can transition into a monorepo because obviously we know how that works as well. So that's the idea behind it. What's an example of something that you might want in NX or in a monorepo setup that you took out of or boiled, reduced out of the standalone project set of tooling? Yeah, usually it starts like in a sense that if you have a single application, right, and you start splitting it up, then what often comes, you come to the point where you say you want to deploy it differently in the sense that you have that application right now, you just deploy all of it into a single deployment environment, but maybe some parts of the application are more user-facing, some are more like backend, like administrative facing where like you're, I don't know, if you have a, an online shop or something like your resellers jump on and add their product. So those might have a lower requirement on the scaling, for instance. And so you already start seeing those patterns as you create a bigger and bigger application where you could say, hey, what if we deploy that like really high on, on servers that are highly capable of like a lot of traffic and then have a second piece of it, which doesn't need that high of scaling. And so we can separate it out. And maybe they have even a different cadence of deployment. And so that's when you have that transition point from, hey, I have my single app and now I want to have multiple ones. I want to split that single piece up into two smaller pieces and deploy them independently. So that's one common thing that I've often seen, or even people going more crazy if you want, where they start with a single application and then they want to go the micro front-end microservices route. So they have not just like one afterwards, but they have one per business domain area of that product because they want that independent deployability and all that type of flexibility. And so it's a good way because you don't necessarily have to go full in from the beginning because like setting up like a micro front-end or microservice infrastructure from the get-go might overcomplicate things, right? Because you might not need it. There's a lot of guardrails that are needed. Exactly. And so we don't want to have that super complex setup initially. We want to rather have you focus on actually developing your product and then go and then split it up at the later point. Now, that, that's kind of where my talk went a bit into that direction, focusing on Node specifically, like on backend applications. But we have seen also similar situations on front end where like companies said like, hey, we want to go micro front end. So we were like, why? <laughs> like, what is the business case for it? Like, what's the use case, right? And so you come to the point when you ask a lot of those questions where it's, hey, actually, we just want to have like modular approach where we ha- want to have everything nicely separated such that we can have different teams working on the diff- those different areas. And then maybe we need the, the separate deployment, but only maybe, right? When we see like we hit roadblocks down the road because one team moves faster than another and doesn't want to wait. So in that kind of situations. And so if you manage, and obviously it's tricky, but if you manage to structure your application in a way that you can have it modularized along the way already with some 
kind of in back in the back of your mind, like we might split that up at some point in the future, right? So you can already start to put some guardrails around your domain areas and structure code in a way such that that becomes easier. It's never easy, right? There's, there's no magic button that you press and now out of a sudden you have micro frontends. But we try to help you a bit on that way, right? By providing some tooling around it. And we're mentioning right here, it's really beneficial to think about separating your app and your business domains. You have the sales, you have the data layer. Where do you draw that line about, you know, you guys, maybe a micro front end would make sense, but right now we're going to draw that business domain a little higher up on the abstraction scale. Because I feel like micro front ends, correct me if I'm wrong here, but micro front ends, it's almost like drilling down one layer deeper and you're reaching into the deployment an operational side, a side of the thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. When you're at like microfronts, microservices, you're ready at the very end, basically, where you just deploy stuff. But in order to be able to do that, you have to have the structure beforehand at on your code level to be even able to do it, to be even able to just deploy a single smaller piece rather than the big monolith part. So yeah, like what I, what I talked a bit about in the talk is mostly what can you do to not have that what I call like monolithic code base. And I target specifically about Node, but it's not really limited to that. But if you look at Node, for instance, it is really flexible because you just set up a new app with Express, Fastify, whatever. I actually used Fastify as an example because it already comes with some of that modularity in mind. So it has some features around it, so that's nice. But in the end, like whatever framework you're using, usually what people do is they set up a single project, they have their source folder, and then they just have the code in there, right? Now, Ideally, you're already separated by folders inside there. So not just, hey, there's API folder, there's business layer folder, data access layer folder, because then you have the code really for every feature spread across all these different kind of subfolders, which is really messy. But rather the idea is try to group it into its own folder. So if you have an online marketplace or let's say Amazon to some sort of web shop, like have your products features or products area in the products folder. Maybe you have different ones. You have product list for just the visualization of the list because it might be that complex with searching and filtering and all that stuff. But have it grouped together as close as possible. So pieces that should stay together are already grouped together. And that's kind of what I was kind of advocating for. Now, the problem is if you have it in just a folder structure, then the problem is that you can really easily grab across those boundaries because they're very lightweight. You just import something. Or what often happens to myself as well, like you code in Visual Studio Code or whatever ID you're using, and you create, you get those outer imports of types or functions you're missing, and it just grab from some other folder because it happens that there is one there. But like what happens if you think about it along the way, as your thing gets bigger, is it becomes really messy because you have all these cross-references and it's really hard to separate those pieces apart. And so that's where I kind of digged into like, hey, how, how can you fix this? Like, what are structures that we thought about, uh, specifically talking about an X, uh, of how you can actually uh, help with, with those type of things? So do you feel like we're moving from localizing our code in, for its semantic infrastructure relationship into more like we should move towards relating our code in the folders for its business logic? And if we keep the business logic closer together, we're going to have a cleaner spider web at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. It, it kind of goes in that direction where I feel like personally, for instance, you can still have the like API business data access uh, separation because some, it's useful, right? If you search for API stuff, you go into that folder, but have it within the actual domain area. So if you have, let's say, a products, orders, I don't know, authentication, my account, profile management kind of thing, 
features, so you have three, four of those features, then have like subfolders within those folders. So have a source products folder, and within that you have an API folder, a business folder. So you can group it still within the product. So whenever I need to look up something off the product, I know I go into that folder and I work in there. And the thing I mentioned that is because then it gets kind of out of consistent, like you have that integrated piece basically where people work on. Because if you're working in a large environment, chances are pretty high that if you're in a product team, that's where you're going to work. It's not that you're going to grab into the orders. Maybe orders you might touch because kind of close related, but you should just stay within your area. And so it's much better if that is also on the folder structure visualized or separated, because then you run into less trouble with Git merges. Like it's just more consistent in that sense. And so that's kind of where I pushed uh, people towards also in a talk. The problem is with folders, they're too lightweight usually. And so that's where the whole concept about local libraries came in, which then I dived a bit deeper. Right. Local libraries, that's kind of different than a package in a monorepo. It's slightly different. I'd love to get into that, Yuri, but right before we do, I just want to remind anybody listening that the podcast that we're listening to right now is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience. With LogRocket, you can find the issues faster, improve conversion and adoption, and spend more time building a great product and less time debugging. So try it for free at LogRocket.com today. So Yuri, coming back into what we were talking about, when you guys are developing the standalone application with the libraries inside, does this sort of urge the team to almost want to rewrite a spec for how your everyday Node developer sets up a project? Because you must have been tackling like, okay, how does a typical Node developer set up like a FastFi application? Now, how do they do it with a standalone project? Are there some like conventions that you found, you dug up that you maybe want to broadcast to people? You're like, this should really be in everybody's toolbox. Yeah, exactly. The, what I did is I looked at a couple of different like setups that people provide in terms of those frameworks like Express, Koa, Fastify. And some even don't have a CLI at all. So all you get is basically, hey, there's an NPM package here and just install that and then just go ahead. And then you create your controllers, your API layers, middleware, whatever you're working on. And that is also kind of legit in the sense that those people work on actual framework. So having a CLI tool along the way that you also need to maintain is a lot of effort. But still, it's a very, on the other side, a very good thing where newcomers to the framework can use it quickly to spin up a new application and explore it and play around with it. And so, for instance, looking at Fastify, they have a CLI. And I actually talked to Matteo, which is the creator, Matteo Colina from Fastify. And he mentioned, yeah, we have it. It's like a nightmare to maintain because, as I mentioned, like he just drags it along the way. But on the other side, he also says a lot of users jump onto it because, hey, let me just quickly generate an application, uh, have already a, a running Fastify app, and then play around with it, learn about it. But then I probably might want to set up like a proper setup that's not using Fastify CLI because that's not like really meant for production immediately. And he's working on some stuff there as well for deployment and more. So feel free to dig deeper on that and you, if you're curious about. But that's where, which kind of sparked our interest because at NX, we provide literally CLI. We, that's what we develop. It's a command line interface, a developer tool that allows you to scaffold new projects. And so that's why we started also looking into that area and said, hey, we have already those code generators. So let's look at, for instance, what the Fastify CLI provides. And what that generates to you is just source folder and a subfolder, that's it, like routes for just to demo how that works. But it doesn't really impose any structure per se. So that's where you then have to dig into the docs and explore, hey, 
how would you do this? And how would you structure it? Like you have to really go deeper. And so our idea was like, what if we provide like a custom CLI on the next site that uses an access engine, if you want, that allows you to have a more, if slightly different, slightly opinionated, more opinionated setup. Where you said, hey, you generate an application like this. So it gives you almost the same setup as the Fastify CLI. But then thanks to like further generators, you can create what's so-called local lips. So there's just a generator that creates a library, if you want, within that workspace, which we obviously use already in our monorepo setup. But now you can also use it in some arbitrary folder within your standalone app setup. And just for the purpose of modularizing your code. Because now if you have it in a library, things become already much more explicit. In a sense, you have some public entry point, some API where we expose stuff other stuff that remains included, just visible within that library. So you already impose some of those structural things which help you think more about, hey, this is my product domain area. What do I want to expose? What should stay within my product area because no one else should use it? So you can see like how you already start thinking about what is my API to the other domains within the product. And it's still a single application. We're not talking about monorails and anything. But you already start to get into that habit of, hey, This is a way of structuring it. I need to think about all those details, basically. And so the thing that comes out of it, which is sort of our hope, is you create a better structured application just because of that already. That structure that is imposed at the beginning when you're using the CLI and you're getting this assistance and creating a good hygiene, what tools exist within NX within standalone projects to help maintain that hygiene? Or even, let's say you want to maintain it, there's a lot of fuzzy questions you might be asking yourself. Is this one domain or is it another domain? On both of those fronts, how can you tackle that as you go along? Yeah. So the domain part, there's two aspects, I think, in this. One is the from the pure tooling perspective. Like what does the tool, in this case an X, give you to kind of implement some of those restrictions or like opinionated setup or whatever? And then there's what are my domains? Like where are the boundaries? Like how do you structure that? And Let's talk first about that because I think that's a more difficult thing. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's really dependent. Like tooling is easy. That's just, hey, there's, it's the technical thing. You learn it. Exactly. You learn it, you use it, that's it. You customize it maybe to your needs, that's it. The other thing is more about like reasoning about your product, about your whatever you're developing. And so it's really depending on what you set up. That's what defines your domains. And by the way, when I talk here about domains, I'm talking about domain-driven design. So that's also just one like aspect or one way to architect your system. There's others as well, potentially. So this is just one methodology, if you want, where you start thinking about, hey, what are the actors? What are connections? And you even see that when you talk to your like customers. If you have a very customer-facing product, when you talk to your customers, the way they talk, like those domains are usually reflected right in their business. So that's where all those things come from, where you then also cut the boundaries. Because you always want that the domain is attached to business, basically, because then as the business evolves, your domain representation, your software evolves in the same pace. So that's the idea behind it at a very high level. Now, that's good. I'm on the tooling side. I'm not a domain-driven design expert whatsoever. I've looked a bit into it, but like that's kind of the idea. From the tooling perspective, it's, as we said before, like you, you need to have some sort of mechanisms, basically, like implementations at hand that help you then implement such a domain-driven architecture. And in NX, actually, we don't really push to the domain-driven architecture at all. Like, it's more general purpose, obviously, because, like, we don't want to enforce some pattern on top of what you're doing. But what we provide in terms of helping you implement such mechanisms is mostly those generators. There's code scaffolding mechanisms that help you, like, set up quickly such a library. Because, obviously, 
if you want to have those libraries, but you need to manually spin them up, create them, or maybe just copy and paste old ones, remove code, that becomes tedious. And so it shouldn't be something that kind of stays in the way, just then people then avoid it and then still stuff everything into one or two libraries, because then again, it doesn't make any sense. And so those generators help you like do that initial scaffolding. That's one thing. And the other is what we do is also provide like mechanisms around then enforcing those things. Because one thing that we have seen, and that comes from the monorepo setup, is if you have an application and a ton of such libraries, then yeah, sure, you have good structure. But again, just initially, nothing prevents people, like someone joins the team, doesn't know about like all the details, obviously didn't read the docs and the manuals because who reads them anyway? And so they just jump in and start importing stuff across all those libraries and all those packages. And so then you need not just something that helps you do the initial setup, but also something that helps you guardrail that along the way. And so that's when we, for instance, in NX started introducing what we called module boundaries. So that those are basically lint rules, so a custom lint rule basically, where you define uh, like what the relationships look like between those libraries. So what library can import from which other library? Uh, and you define those rules, uh, which are actually pretty simple to, to draw out once you have your domain areas. And that's then enforced on CI. So your CI will break if you import for some project, which you're not allowed of. And so that's when then your bells like ring and like, wait a minute, and you look at it, and maybe it's legit. Maybe you need to adjust your rules because your product evolved. But maybe it's not. Maybe it was some accidental import by VS Code. So you go and fix it. So that's the kind of idea to have those generators, but then also things that along the way help you kind of also maintain that state, right? Or kind of alert you whenever something goes wrong. I can see this being insanely useful if you have a standard way you write a database service data access and you have it in every domain package. And I want to make sure I'm right. I'm pulling from the right one. This is a problem I have personally faced and it has really annoyed me. And to have a lint tool. So it must be some static analysis, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The reason how it works is basically an X behind the scenes has the concept of a project graph. So it follows the imports of like TypeScript that you're using. And so it builds up that graph and understands, hey, these are the relationships. And so it knows all the projects. And there's some manual steps you need to do, which is like whenever you create a new project, you give it a tag or some identifier where you say like, hey, this is uh, of scope domain. So this is my scope product. So this is from my products domain. And the type here is a, a data access library. And so you give it to the project definition. That's basically a tag that you define, which can be an arbitrary string. And then in the rules, you basically say, hey, everything that is from scope data access or type data access can only reference other type data access, for instance. And they also need to stay within the same domain or they can go across domain, but you define it basically. And then, yeah, as you said, via static analysis, having a project graph, having that set of rules, it just walks through basically and looks like, hey, this is a project that is part of that scope, that domain area is of this type of library looking at the rules, is this allowed or not? So if it's not allowed, just uh, raise the lint error. Which, by the way, like before I mentioned CI checks, it's obviously checking CI, but linting has really good tooling support as well in the IDEs. So if you have the lint extension ex installed in VS Code or whatever you're using, you will see also as you type that import, it will immediately have like squiggly lines below and say, hey, this is not possible because you defined a rule that says you cannot import from that other library, right? So... It's from, from the very perspective, I think it's really nice because then you immediately see what's going on and you just fix it because maybe it was an accidental import. This really reminds me of like a Swagger doc or open API spec where you create your contract and then 
it's amazing to have this if you have like a team of more than like a few people because you can go out and all have some agreement about who does what. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is also these rules grow. Like you start small, you have maybe one or two rules because you don't really have all that separation, all those different domains. And then as you go, you just add new ones. Like you grow that with your product. So it's never like some huge overhead, uh, which by the way, I also suggest to do because it's more problematic if you don't do initially when it's small, but then when you have that gigantic application with 50 modules and whatnot, like you're like, hey, we really need to have those rules. Then really someone needs to sit down <laughs> and write all those rules down. You will get a lot of lint errors for sure. And so that's when it's painful. So the whole idea is start building it up as you kind of start growing your project and then over time basically just adjust it. So if people wanted to try this out today, they want to try standalone project, Yuri, what command do they run with the product annex delivers the CLI? How can they get started? And is defining the rules, you said you do it in some file, in some def fi- in de- definitions file? Yeah, so to start a standalone project, you can just go to annex.dev slash docs. And you will get there to the starting page, which has already like di- different type of setups, basically, where it says, hey, you want a monorepo? No, I want a standalone project. Okay, which one? And so you can then go through that and we'll have all the commands that you will need to kind of get that started. But there are basically like presets or templates that you can pass to the CLI to set up a new project. So we'll know, hey, this is a node project and then go with that and kind of ask you a couple of questions. What do you want? Which type of setups do you want? And then go ahead with that. So that's the approach that you could take. Uh, and then from there, you can add those rules, which are already like predefined in the ESLint RC file. So there's just an ESLint definition file where you define all those rules. And so if you st- use such a standalone setup, it will already come pre-configured with an empty rule set. And then on top of those, you just keep adding basically the rules that you want to define. Do you urge the next, uh, the person who's listening to this, the next project they try and know just to set it up with this simple guardrail because it's kind of like a no cost? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Okay. I would say just even if you just want to explore it, because for instance, if you want to start, let's say, create a new Fastify node app, just play around. Try to use such a standalone setup. And just create a bunch of libraries, import them, see how it feels, because you can literally do it in like five minutes, right? And then like see how the rules work and like just to get a, a feeling of, of how the whole setup behaves. Because then you can also kind of understand how would this apply to my current situation where I maybe built an old application, right? And then want to deploy it somewhere. And then it comes also with other tools on top, right? We keep improving that as we go. Like we have one a Docker Okay, like just run a generate that sets up Docker Docker file for you that allows you to bundle it up and then just ship it to some some environment, right? Uh, recently, we also started adding serverless support and edge function deploy. So it is something that we start evolving. So we literally just added this like two months ago or something where we started looking more into like streamlining the whole node setup and, and looking into use cases. It's like a, the CLI of professional boilerplate. It feels like to me and beyond because it's these are things I spend hours setting up like a Docker Compose file and like making sure like it's formatted and has the right version. I don't just stupid stuff like that, that it's just copy and pasting. So, yeah, I really want to try it out. The whole idea behind is also because NX itself and that's also if you look at nx.dev slash docs, there's a I think YNX menu entry or something, which kind of explains the overall architecture, which might be really useful if you start using NX like never heard about it or maybe just heard about it but never used it kind of to look at how it is being made even an x itself is kind of modular build so it has all those plugins where at the bottom there's just an x that runs tasks that makes sure those tasks run efficiently that has the base cli and then the generators come really with those plugins so the same thing we talked about here 
Well, that works on Node, which we talked about today, but it also works on React application on the front end. It works because those mechanisms are really general purpose, if you think. If you have front end libraries or like back end libraries, it's always libraries where we might need to guardrail boundaries and all that type of stuff, or you might need to generate code. So that's kind of the, the idea which we had behind it. Also, why we expanded it to all those different environments because it's, it applies easily to, to different kind of technologies, if you want. Yuri, thank you for your time coming on and talking to us about the standalone libraries and what NX is coming out with. We'll mention one more time the name of your talk. It's Next Generation Code Architecture for Building Maintainable Node Applications. I reckon you're going to be working on this in the coming quarters and months still as time goes on. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. So if people want to find out more, will you be posting on Twitter? Yeah, so you can find us on Twitter, like either annex.dev slash docs. That's where we push like our documentation updates. For just updates purely on new features and stuff, the best would be Twitter, which is at annexdevtools, everything written together, like one word. And the same handle also exists on YouTube. We actually push a lot of videos there. So usually whenever we have a release or some new exciting feature coming out, you will 100% find a YouTube video there, a short one. That kind of walks you through it, explains how it works, stuff like that. So that would probably be the best way. If Twitter is not your place, just go to YouTube. Well, Yuri, thanks again. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me.